All right. Do you want to hear Brandon's stupid story idea of the week? I am so excited to hear this. So I was actually reminded of this idea, which I had last year when I was watching Loki, which we're not going to talk about Loki. So don't worry. We won't spoil. That's not what we're doing today. (laughs) We're talking about Brandon's stupid story idea. And I hit a bout of particularly bad insomnia about a year ago. And so- That is saying a lot for you. Yeah. When I say bad, it was persistent, right? Like usually insomnia is a couple days a week, and this was several weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. And that was the lay in bed. I could count on an hour and a half to two hours of just laying in bed. Mm-hmm. So every night when I do that, if I'm having a bad insomnia, I start a story in my head and see where it goes. And most of them are really bad. But this <laughs> one was memorably bad. Okay. And so the pitch on it is time travel Disaster tourism. Okay. Alternate dimension disaster time travel tourism, technically. Time travel disaster, meaning you travel in time to a disaster? Yes. Or to a disaster caused by time travel? Nope. You uh, you go. So basically, you buy a ticket from the time travel people, and you get to go experience the Titanic sinking. Okay. Right? As a thrill ride. And to just enjoy <laughs> it. And the story I came up with was... A contest where they, the time travel disaster tourism people set up a contest and said, hey, go back and try to either stop the Titanic from sinking or prevent the guy who's trying to stop the Titanic from sinking from preventing the Titanic from sinking. So the story was you are sent back in time with like three items of your choice. Basically, it's Counter-Strike, right? Mm -hmm. You're either terrorist or (laughs) counter-terrorist. And in Counter-Strike and in this one, you are trying to prevent the Titanic from sinking, but there is some other individual, an evil leaper, if you will, mm-hmm. there's a deep cut, yeah. who is working actively to prevent you and maybe to sink the Titanic faster. Okay. Mm-hmm. So first of all, what are the time travel rules of this world? Do we need to preserve the timeline or do we nope. not care? Alternate dimension. That's why I mentioned that. Like, okay. They're just ruining a timeline. For, ruining a timeline for fun. But you can return to your own timeline. So we can't do the shocking twist of that's how the Titanic sank in the first place. No, that is the dumbest shocking twist ever. That's why you put <laughs> shocking in there. And boy, you guys, we uh, we were on a magazine, Dan and I in college. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before, Leading Edge. And the number of stories that that was the twist at the end was yeah. so... Not not necessarily yeah. specifically yeah. the Titanic, but... I mean, They Were Adam oh. and Eve is yeah. the, the most common one. And, and we got that Adam one. Adam and Eve. We got a that a lot. Yes. To this day, I would still like to write a good version of that. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, the good version of that has already been written, you know, 70 years ago or something by the first person who thought of it. I mean, God. <laughs> 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 well, there's a deep cut as well. Um, so I'm intrigued by this idea. Mm-hmm. So we have the people going back in time. Yes. And are you alone or do you have a team? So in the story I wrote in my head, it was alone. It would be more fun as a team. If I were actually constructing this as a story to tell, I think like a three-player team and each of you gets like one item and like a specialty mm-hmm. is a better sort of idea. I like that. Yeah. See, and I I play enough board games mm-hmm. that part of me immediately thinks you have a team, but you don't know who they are. Oh, yeah. So they you send gotta... like five good guys and five bad guys. Oh, man. But that's you great. don't know who else on the ship is on your team and who's a time traveler and who's just an original person. And you have to be careful how you make contact because you might be making contact with the bad guys and revealing yourself. Yeah. So you're turning it into a game of werewolf or mm-hmm. something like exactly. that or mafia. 
That's really so you're good. Kind of playing werewolf. That makes the story so much better with one change, Dan. <laughs> well, that's what workshopping is for. Yes, it's actually standing less lame now. You're doing your job too well. But that <laughs> I, happened to the Great British it Fake happened Off. Happened to the Great British Fake Off. Yes, which it turns out is the title of an episode of Legends of Tomorrow. Oh right, someone got there before yep. we did. We need a new title, yeah. obviously. Yeah, it's got to involve what the Rock is cooking, but it can't be that blatant. <laughs> So now I'm wondering, do we want to assign roles? Like, do we want to turn this into like an almost heisty kind of thing where mm -hmm. your job is this and this is your item? Yeah. Or is it just you're going back, you've got to find your four allies, you can take any one thing with you? Right. Well, let's talk about the two options because if you have a role, it makes it easier for you to determine who to make contact with. Mm -hmm. Like you'd be like, all right, who looks like the muscle? They're going to send a muscle back for me, yeah. right? Who looks like it? But then allows the author to also play with those expectations and stereotypes to mm -hmm. deliver somebody who doesn't fit exactly with the expectation. Yeah. Get someone who is less immediately identifiable. Yeah. But if you play it the other way, then you can have really quirky things that people brought back. Like I kind of like the idea of this being a bunch of normal people. Rather than a team of a team absolute of, of superheroes, like this is for armchair historians rather yeah. than team of superheroes. I mean, you could totally write a story about a team of superheroes, but it just feels more interesting to me if it's like somebody who's. Yeah. If these were not like American Ninja Warrior contestants, yes. these are Wheel of Fortune contestants. Yes, and maybe rather than assigning them roles, just mm -hmm. let them bring any one thing, and yeah. and we might or might not want to disallow vet the things yes like if somebody's one item that they want to take back with them is a little lapel pin that says i'm from the future like i know i mean could be interesting i think that would be stupid to take back because you can be. write a little lapel pin but if what they want to bring back <laughs> is a portable nuke and they're like look i sank the titanic fastest yeah. record right mm -hmm. like there would have to be rules and things yeah. like that obviously well, and we would name check those rules yes you know when there's someone's going through the process mm -hmm. and he's like well i brought this oh good thing you didn't try to bring a nuke like that one guy yeah that was our uh or you could just have categories assigned randomly that determines what you can bring so you're not an expert mm -hmm. navigational you know, whatever you call it. A navigator. That's what a navigational an, person. An expert navigational person. <laughs> an expert navigational person. If you're not a navigator, but you've been assigned the navigator role, what you get is like, you know, a futuristic super GPS that doesn't need a satellite network and it can tell you exactly where mm -hmm. the ship is. And so you want to find that person because they get that item and then maybe something else they bring of their own. Yeah. So to add some, some randomness. See, that's good. And it is leaning back into the werewolf mm -hmm. board game Battlestar Galactica kind of thing referring to the Galactica board game not to the the show which has nothing to do with this in any way but you know if you are randomly assigned a loyalty and mm -hmm. a role yes and they're like oh well I'm the burglar mm -hmm. and so I have a set of lock picks or something yep yep I think it's it's actually sounding less lame the version <laughs> I told in my head was more along the lines of this guy was sent back just to experience. It was just tourism. Mm -hmm. And then found out that another person had been sent. It was just one other person. But that they wanted to foul it all up and sink it faster. And so the protagonist is like, maybe I could stop the Titanic from sinking. Could I actually do that? Am I capable of that? And then tries to 
and hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue. Yeah. So I'm thinking this sounds more like a limited series than a movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it were done in installments. Yeah. So that then you had, you know, I'm thinking of episode structure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we follow one person, maybe two people. And at the end of the first episode, they meet each other. Right. And, but we still don't know exactly, you know, it's secretly revealed that one of them's actually evil. Right. And the other one doesn't know it. And then over time, you can discover who the other people are and they can concoct schemes to try to out the time travelers. I have some sad news. I feel like this has already been made a movie. Michael Crichton's timeline is very I've similar. I've read timeline, but it's it's very different. Well, they, the movie's pretty similar to what Oh, is it? Because in the book, they go back accidentally. They're not supposed to. They're trying to survive. And it's in the medieval era. It's yeah, not it's medieval. Well, it, yeah. I know that there were historians that went back in yes. the movie, mm-hmm. and then the next people went back to try and rescue them. Yes, and then hijinks ensued. Right. No, so I, some I people think, went intentionally, and some people went. Yeah, to sabotage. I think that's way different. Com- okay. Competing time travelers certainly yeah. overlaps in right. that sense. I mean, we've seen a ton of competing yeah. time traveler movies and shows, though, right? Yeah. Hence like, the Dark Leaper reference. I mean, that is the plot of Terminator as well, <laughs> right? Person goes back, someone else goes back to stop them. The angle on this is the heist angle. Which changes well, it to a the, very the, different the subgenre. Game show angle. Yes, a game show well. angle. Regular people, more survivor, things like that. It's a good comp to bring up mm-hmm. to point out timeline. I actually haven't seen the movie of timeline. Okay, so here's my question then. Mm-hmm. Do we play this straight or is there a twist? That's oh, there's definitely multiple twists. Okay. At least one big one. And I do think we have to play it a little comedic at times, mm-hmm. right? It's not a comedy. But it has to be the tension of we're on the Titanic, I suppose, could go two ways. It could be mm-hmm. really tense, right? But the concept is farcical enough that if you don't lean into the comedy, I think that... It would have to be very funny, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe an action comedy kind of thing. Yes. Okay, so possible twist, though this feels more like an early reveal mm-hmm. rather than a late game twist is, you know... You don't get to come home if your team loses. Just to add some tension to that, it. But it takes no. away from the game show. See, aspect. that takes away, like, that's definitely a Dan Wells way to do it, right? <laughs> because then it gets real dark and brutal and dystopian real fast, right? Yeah. It turns into Hunger Games, which you could totally do. Brandon way to do it would be like, oh, no, our thing broke. We can't get back or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Like, how do we get back? Our thing is broken or... You know, these people are from a rival network game show and they're trying to sabotage our game show. So it looks really bad. <laughs> so it gets canceled. The so corporate espionage yeah. angle is definitely a good one. Mm-hmm. I do think that if it is a game show, we need to involve the audience in some way. And so there needs to be some way in which, you know, kind of American Idol style, uh-huh. you can not necessarily vote people off, yeah, but you can earn cool things like extra equipment i like that if you do something flashy that the audience loves yeah yeah i like that angle a lot that's still not a twist or still need a twist the audience could decide to out somebody right meaning (laughs) you know this Mm -hmm. person we are going to reveal to everyone who they are or something like that well and something i thought of earlier and i i didn't say I'm wondering if it is in our interest to have a third group mm-hmm. who is there basically to enforce the rules. Right. Yeah. Like, 
you have to act like you are from the past. And if you are too obviously yeah. a time traveler, then the shadow men get you or something. I like that idea. And then you can do something cool with them as they twist. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Like that works a little better with the losing people don't go home. But I think it, it works even better if it's like somebody who's playing this game someone else doesn't want to come home right like it's not that the whole mm, officially the team okay it's like we're gonna cover up an accident by also ruining this game show and making this person you know not come home i don't know yeah that one might be too obvious right like that's the first place that my brain went yeah and that's that's one of the principles of brainstorming story yes. is you throw away your first three or four ideas and not always like yeah, I sometimes good ones yeah. throw away more. The better you get at storytelling, the more easily you will recognize, oh, that's that's been done. Mm-hmm. And the more easily you will also recognize, wow, I've never done that before. I've never seen that done. Sometimes it's the first thing you come yeah. up with. But if it feels too easy, that is a bad sign. So I do like the idea of someone who doesn't want to come home. Mm-hmm. And what immediately suggests itself is this is someone who has a personal vested interest in the survival of one or more passengers on the Titanic. Yeah, they just want to live in this alternate timeline. So this is an alternate timeline. I am going to go back and save my Mm great-grandparents so that, you know, my family has a better start or whatever thing happens. Right. And eventually people realize what's going on and that's going to ruin everything or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, totally. If that ruins everything and then the shadow enforcers have to get involved to be like, no, you can't do that. I don't know. Then we're straying into too much stuff that is actually very similar to the Loki show, which is what (laughs) reminded me of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because there's an instance in that one where they time travel to disasters. Well, see, and I'm thinking more of a Doctor Who kind of angle, that the shadow people who enforce the rules, they have an ulterior motive for running this because the temporal energy that is created by this shenanigan feeds them in some way. And so this guy who's breaking the rules, they don't like that because then things go wrong and they don't get the food they need or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I would prefer if it weren't so fantastical, which is odd coming for me, Mm -hmm. because if our tone is kind of heistish, I feel like our twists should be heist twists. And our villain should be heist-ish. I mean, we're already asking a lot of the audience to suspend their disbelief. Like, this happens a lot in dystopians, right? Mm-hmm. That you have to buy some pretty ridiculous premises. Yeah. Unwind is actually a great dystopian novel. I don't know if you've read it, but it's it's really good. I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it, though. But the premise is a huge pill to swallow. I don't know if you know the premise. Yeah, I do. Yeah. The premise is, for those who don't know, that to solve the abortion debate in the future... They decide that abortions are illegal, but when your kid's a teenager, if they're insufferable, you can turn them over to be killed and turned into spare parts for the good of humanity. That's called unwinding your teenager. And you can only do it to them until they hit a certain age. You can't do it until they're a certain age. So it's like from, I can't remember, it's like from 11 until 16. You can choose to send your kids. And as a core premise... It is laughably ridiculous. Yes, it the is. idea that you could convince all of the, you know, the religious right who opposes abortion because murder is wrong and that's how they perceive it. Mm-hmm. You're going to convince them that killing teenagers is better? Yes. 
it doesn't make sense to no. anyone at all. But as a story, yes. it works. And for a teenage audience, they're like, mm -hmm. yes, I know my parents would unwind right. me given the chance. I mean, this is another example of why plot holes, quote unquote, are usually or often bad criticism of a piece of media. Because yes, the premise is laughable. You can poke so many holes in that premise. Mm -hmm. But the story is asking you to accept this premise. And when you do, you get an excellent story yeah. full of thought-provoking ideas using that premise. And the premise just could not exist. But you know what? Neither could any of the fantasy novels that I write. <laughs> and they're a little further from reality, which makes it mm -hmm. an easier pill to swallow. But we're already in our story asking people to swallow that everyone is okay with a game show about people who go back to the Titanic. And it's okay that half the team just is trying to sink the boat faster. Mm -hmm. And nobody's really worried about all these poor people who are just alternate dimension non-entities to them. Yeah. And that's a hard pill to swallow. It is a hard one to swallow. It does make the guy who wants to save people... Yes. It makes that more plausible and more relatable. The thing is, because that is the premise and because this is a game show and just because mm -hmm. of who I am in general, mm -hmm. my mind wants to keep going. If we don't have a strong supernatural mm -hmm. angle on this, then we need to go into harsh corporate dystopia territory, you know, Logan's Run kind of stuff. Or we just play it straight, like... It already is dystopian enough, right? Like, yes. I think- I just want, like, demonstrations of that. Yeah, I don't know that we but need I, it. I, we might not. Maybe. Like, so one way you could run this is you could do it the Verhoeven way. Cut to advertisements. I'd middle. buy that for a dollar or things like this. Just yeah. to lampoon the ludicrousness of some of these ideas, and that mm -hmm. would work. But one thing I thought of, if you want your twist- now, this, again, might be a little easy, but we didn't hit on it too quickly. What if it's a game show about saving the Titanic and you go back not realizing that there's an evil team? Okay. So your job is to maintain historical accuracy as best as possible, mm -hmm. find your team, and save the Titanic. And that's what you signed up for. And yet the ratings of this show have been going down a little yeah, bit. And exactly. they decided to in introduce so this an is Indominus like Rex. three or four, yeah. and it's time to shake up the formula. Yep. So and there's an evil team now. What this does is we can explain the evil team a little bit better by these people are more vetted, more skilled. I bet you couldn't bet on a bunch of random people to actually go through with wanting, you know. Mm -hmm. They would get there. And then they'd be like, no, these are real people. I can't sink the Titanic. I got to help save. And then you'd have, you'd have people swapping teams and, and things like that. And so if what you've got is a shadow ops team mm -hmm. that is playing by very specific rules who are trying to sink the Titanic that you find out in like episode three, then suddenly, you know, you've got that big mid-season twist. I like that. I mean, it is the Dark Leaper twist mm -hmm. that they added to the end of Quantum Leap because the formula was getting old and dry. They uh, and needed it, some bad guys. It did resuscitate that show, so it makes perfect sense that they would do it in ours. Mm -hmm. So I can see go. that working. Mm -hmm. I can see a lot of different ways to take this, and I'm intrigued by it. Is this too dumb a question? You could time <laughs> travel anytime, and you excised religious answers, right? Like, I think a lot of us who are religious would just answer, if you could time travel anytime, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the Sermon on the Mount 
with hopefully a Google Translate. But even without, I'm going to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah, something um, like that. Like if you excise, I am going to go back and witness the Ten Commandments being brought down. Mm -hmm. Where would you time travel? What would you go touristy oh, see if you man. could? Yeah. It's hard to say. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to say. When I was in high school and I was applying to be Sterling Scholar, which is a Utah thing. I don't know if other states do this, but it's like each subject that you study in high school, you can do this statewide competition of who's the best at, you know, math mm -hmm. or whatever. And I was applying for history and they asked the question, if you could meet anyone from history, who would you want to meet? And my answer was John Wilkes Booth and these kind of crusty old history teacher guys immediately just like, well, not him. Um, <laughs> I would be fascinated to meet him, not because I think he is a good person or that mm -hmm. what he did was great, but because he is an incredibly compelling historical figure. Mm -hmm. It would be very difficult for me to not want to go back and witness, you know, the assassination of Lincoln and then him fleeing and hiding in the barn and all that kind of stuff. But I think it would be more interesting to just kind of go back and get to know John Wilkes Booth before the assassination. Okay. Hang out with him a little bit, mm -hmm. see how he views the world. That would be really interesting. But on the other hand, I would also love to go back and see something that is much older and much more foreign to my own experience. Yeah. Like I would absolutely pick dinosaur times, right? Like you have to put some parameters on this. If for instance, I'm not the only one ever doing this. Then I'm going maybe back to the Library of Alexandria and taking a camera and cataloging, mm. you know, everything that's there. Or, yeah. so, you know, I would solve some great mystery that humankind has pondered over forever if I'm the only one that gets to do it. But if it's just yeah. tourism, if someone else has already gone and digitized the Library of Alexandria. Mm -hmm. and if, if there's yeah. because of the rules or because of the frequency or whatever, mm -hmm. there is no good that you can do. Yeah. And it's purely just a vacation. Then dinosaur times. I'm just going to go see dinosaurs. Just going to go look yeah. at dinosaurs. I'm just going to go look at dinosaurs. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, I would love to see Tenochtitlan at uh, the height yeah. of its illustriousness. That That's would a good be choice. amazing to me. Just, you know. Not the whole meeting Huichlapotle moment, the sacrifice. Not into that. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to do that, but just mm -hmm. to see, you know, the vast city at the height of its pre-Columbian mm -hmm. power. Yeah. That would be amazing. I mean, answering the question of how populated was South America pre-Columbian, you know, it's a divisive question that is skewing more and more toward really well populated mm -hmm. in the current research. But again, we're not doing good with this. We just want to see something. That's a that's a pretty yeah. solid choice. I'd be on board for that idea. If you could go and you could bring modern technology and live any time, <laughs> what would you pick? How are we explaining this? You Am are going I hidden through, from the rest of the world? You're going through a portal. You're bringing a, a belt that gives you a force shield and you are immunized with nanites to prevent you from ever being hurt and you can bring whatever you can carry in like a little portable nuclear power charger. Okay. Where do you go? And I, where do I go in that yeah. sense? Yeah. Ooh. Because there's some arguments here because going back really far, you're even that much cooler. But the modern conveniences, quote unquote modern, that you can mm -hmm. get with your coolness are much reduced in degree. Yeah. But... 
you could make the argument that like once the medieval era started, even even the classical era to an extent, and cities became a thing, mm-hmm. modern conveniences like you can get warm baths and things like that, but they are so crowded and so stinky and so nasty for a long time, <laughs> right? That there's an argument that you know earlier time periods were actually better to live in but worse for society because we couldn't build to the extent that we needed to, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're just going to go back and live, you might just be like, all right, you know what? Hover platform, hunter-gatherers, go back and, you know. <laughs> go back, hang out, eat some saber-toothed tigers. Yes. See, that's a very different question. Where would you yes. want to live versus where would you want to visit? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know. The thing for me is I travel to eat. I go places not necessarily to look at awesome stuff, but to eat awesome stuff. Okay. And so if I'm going to be going into the past and living in some historical time and place, I want to go where I know I'm going to love the food. And I don't know where that would be. It would not be England. (laughs) (laughs) It would be last week in Paris. (laughs) Oh, boy. Mm. That's a. Uh, I that, can. That changes everything. Yeah, I can see that question. We both travel quite a bit. We do. We are big travelers. Did you expect this when you were younger? Like, was traveling something you really wanted to do, and you thought, "When I grow up, I'm going to travel a ton," or did it just happen to you? To some extent, it was always something that I enjoyed and mm. kind of hoped for, whether I was hoping for it consciously or not. I had two different aunts and uncles that lived in California. And so we went to California like two or three times a year, I remember Mm -hmm. as a kid. Maybe it was only once a summer, but I remember it being all the time. And so traveling was very normal to us. Plus my father served an LDS mission in Japan. And so the idea of traveling very far, Mm -hmm. also my mom had for college spent a semester in Puebla in Mexico. So this idea of going somewhere far away and having this other experience was always something that I assumed was a natural part of life. What I never expected was kind of the traveling two or three times a month for book tours and conventions and stuff like that, which, you know, I haven't done that since 2019 because of the thing that happened. Yep. But that kind of came out of nowhere. And I remember having this very distinct experience where about eight years in, seven or eight years in, I came to you and I said, you know what? I didn't think this could ever happen to me, but I hate traveling and I never want to do it again. And you're like, yep, seven, eight years in, that's when it happened to me too. I don't know if that attitude has changed Mm -hmm. so much as I am now more overt and more controlled about the kinds of travel that I will agree to do. Yeah, that happened to me too. I wouldn't say that I loved travels as a kid. I wouldn't say that I hated it, but I didn't think I would be a traveler. You know, I'd taken some trips and things, and I'm, I like to sit at home and read books, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I spent my teenage years doing, reading books, playing video games. I'm pretty happy wherever I am, I assumed. But then I got some really nice travel experiences, and I started to see such as you said, trying new foods and things like that is really cool. Like my junior year of high school, I went and lived in France for two weeks with a host family and they just fed me whatever, you know, they ate. And I found like that I really love a bunch of foods that I had never tried before. Yeah. 
And I found that there are a bunch I really hate that now I can speak with authority regarding. But that was really cool. And then I started to be able to travel for work and go places. And I'm still not a huge tourist, right? Like, I want to go to a place. My ideal is I like to go to see sites like one of the days that Mm -hmm. I'm there. If I'm there for a week. And the rest... I want to pick a cool place to write, and I want to write there, right? Mm-hmm. I write, 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 write. Yeah. I want to be on the beach. I want to be overlooking the ocean. I want to be near a canal. Water's a big deal. Or in a cool forest or up someplace high with nice scenery, just someplace different to shake it up. And I found that I really like that, and I really like seeing theater and walking around big cities. Yeah. That is the thing that I have come to love about traveling, much more so than seeing the big fancy things, Uh is exploring the city and getting to know a place that's very different. You know, when we went to Paris, yay, there's the Eiffel Tower, there's the Louvre Museum, like all these famous things. Yes, they're cool. They're certainly, you know, impressive, but not as fun to me as just kind of getting lost and wandering around and seeing, oh, this is how this city is laid out. And seeing the street painters in Paris and just all the little, I mean, it's kind of kitschy, but all the stuff set out for the tourists and whatnot, there's something fun about it in Paris. That's I like that aspect. One of my favorite places I've ever been is La Paz, Bolivia, which is, you know, the highest capital city in the world, just extreme elevation. And it is this city that is nestled in the middle of this weird little kind of canyon complex in the tops of the Andes Mountains. And so in order to survive there and live there and build a huge city, they had to do everything differently than other cities have done. So for example, instead of a subway system, they've got like a sky bucket system like you'd get at an amusement park. And that is their commuter rail is these little sky buckets. Mm-hmm. And they have a different kind of architecture. You know, go online, dear listeners, and look up Chola buildings from Bolivia. And it's this just absolutely kind of mind-blowing visual and architectural movement that is completely unique, and, and you haven't seen it anywhere else. Uh, and I love that kind of stuff. It's super fun to me. You know, that's interesting, because before you told me that, I would have assumed that the highest capital in the world was Amsterdam. <laughs> Sorry. Is Amsterdam even uh, even the capital? I'm sorry, oh, man. Dutch, if it's if it's not. This is why I give out outspiration points mm-hmm. to my D&D groups. Yes, well, you should keep a stock of those you, handy You do something me. good, you get an inspiration point. Mm-hmm. You make a bad joke, and it's an outspiration point, mm. which other people can use against you. You know, I had a really fun time in Amsterdam when I went there. I ended up on something like a nine or 10 hour layover in mm-hmm. Amsterdam because of a air traffic controller strike in, in Paris or whatever. And so I was flying in and I had to get somewhere else. I think it was when I was flying to Oslo and turned out because my flight was canceled, my first flight was canceled, that my next flight had to be rearranged, blah, blah, blah. I'm in Amsterdam for 10 hours. And this was one of the very first times, this was pretty early in my career, but I would say early of the middle of my career. How about that? Mm-hmm. First time I really kind of understood the reach that I could have is I posted on Twitter and said, hey, I'm stuck in Amsterdam. Should I go see anything? And a bunch of people were like, oh, I'll show you. I'm in Amsterdam <laughs> right now. And I'm like, and I did another post and I said, 
really? Who wants to show Brandon around Amsterdam? And I got something like 12 or 15 people showed up at the airport to meet me with their books. I signed their books and they took me around Amsterdam. They showed me things. They fed me waffles. They fed me fries. Um, then they delivered me back and I got on my plane and I flew on my way. So it was a really, really cool moment. I still have the, someone gave me a little cup with all sorts of Dutch things on it. It's like a coffee mug that's got Mm -hmm. little drawings of Dutch things. And my kids are like, what is this? I'm like, oh, let me tell you about the time that I got to go see Amsterdam. They don't care. But maybe the podcast will care. Maybe. I used to do that Mm -hmm. kind of overtly. Every time I was going to be in a city for a book signing, uh-huh. I would say, hey, I'm going to be here, Baltimore. Come to my thing, and then let's all go get dinner afterwards. And so I went to Baltimore, and like seven people showed up. It was a very small signing. But uh-huh. all seven of us went out to eat, and they were right. very excited to show me, you know, this is you know, uh-huh. the best crab cakes in town and, you know, the things like that. I still will do that. I don't advertise it, except I guess right now on this podcast. But if you see me at a con or at a book signing and say, hey, I want to buy you food, I will probably say yes to that. I will probably say no. A couple of reasons. Number one being that if I'm actually doing a signing, chances are I'm getting done very early in the Mm -hmm. morning, which that's the glamorous life of being a a best-selling author is most of the time when I go on tour now, my dinner, because I start signing it like... 5.30 5.30 or 6. Mm-hmm. Like I'll show up at the signing early because I know I just got to start getting some work on it. And I'll just start, whoever's there in line, I'll often start. Not always, I'm not promising you. But then the signings will usually get done like 1, 2 a.m. And then I kind of go in a car, stop at whatever fast food is open. <laughs> Anything I've that's open. been at multiple ones where no fast food is open. And so we go to a gas station and I microwave a hot dog from the (laughs) convenience store rack and then get dropped off at my hotel. And then there's a flight at like 9 a.m. tomorrow to take me on to another one. To the next place and do it all again. Mm -hmm. That happens to me in Latin America. Right. Argentina, Mexico, Peru, Bolivia. When I go there, I have those huge signings. Yep. When I'm anywhere else, yeah, 10, 20 people. So I actually people. do get to go and have food somewhere. Listeners, you might be like, wow, that's small. That's actually a good signing. That is a very good signing mm-hmm. for a non-Brandon Sanderson. Yes. <laughs> for a comfortably mid-list author mm-hmm. like me, 20 people at a random bookstore somewhere is fantastic. I kind of miss those days a little bit because I used to go play magic with the people who showed up. In fact, Wizards once sent me just a stack of cards to give out as prizes for playing with Brandon and things. It was really fun, but cannot do that anymore. And Mm -hmm. woe is me, right? First world author problems. (laughs) I am too popular to play games with you. I cannot go to your restaurants. I must sign until two in the morning. We're probably changing that for future signings. Like there's a lottery to get actually get the book personalized. Everyone mm-hmm. else just gets a book signed. Apologize if that's what it ends up being in the future for you, dear listeners. But do you have a favorite place that you have visited, like on tour or things? Or a favorite place? Is it too We're talking about cities or specific locations? Don't know. Either one. Because my favorite city in the world is Berlin. Okay. And I love Berlin. That was a lot of fun for me. I would live there right now if I didn't have like six kids that I have to put Mm -hmm. through schools and stuff like that. And, you know, family here that I need to be close to. But, you know, someday when my parents die and I don't love my siblings anymore, I'm going straight back to Germany. It's going to be great. 
I write books about sociopaths, by the way. <laughs> I've enjoyed Germany every time I visited. It's a um, wonderful place, and I love it. Have I told my Germany story on the podcast? I don't think I, I don't have. think you have. I've got a really good Germany story. Okay. So a lot of times when I go to conventions and things, and we do panels about writing, there's often questions that basically equate down to, are you a discovery writer or are you an outline writer? A gardener or an architect, as mm -hmm. George Martin calls them. A lot of people kind of ask questions like this, and I'm not sure how this one was phrased, but I was on a panel with several other authors, locals, and normally I am the token architect. Normally, everyone else on the panel is some shade of discovery writer or what's really common is the, I do come up with an ending, but I discovery write my way to it, yes. right? Or my outline is really vague and I throw it out the window as soon as I start writing. That's very common. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's like I'm one out of a hundred. I'd say it's more like, it seems to be like 75, 25. So someone asked this in Germany and I say, well, this is how I do it. And the other Germans on the panel looked at me and said, there's another way to write books. How would you do it without an outline? You need three. And I'm like, oh, I'm in Germany. Yeah, of that is course. the most German reaction to that question. And I'm Wait, sure. Like, we can make stuff up as we go? I'm sure there's discovery writer Germans, but that panel was the only one I've ever been on where mm -hmm. I was, there were no discovery writers on the panel. Yeah. Well, and this is to, to some extent an unfair stereotype mm -hmm. of German engineering and German planning. But it's not entirely false. And even the language, German as a language, you have to know how a sentence ends before you can say it because of the way the grammar works. And so the idea of planning things out before you do them is just kind of intrinsic to the way that they think. And, you know, I'm not complaining. Like I said, I love it. But that's so, funny to me. Where do I go? I really like London. Okay. I like the theater quite a bit. And there's something like, I like New York theater. New York theater is great. But the shows I've seen in London, as an average, I would say are better than the shows I've seen in New York. And this is because London does, it just seems easier to find the weirder, quirkier things. Mm -hmm. They seem to stick around longer. The prices are lower. They're less focused on the bombastic nature of everything and a little <laughs> more focused on some variety and things like this. And I haven't seen a bad show in London. Now, I do usually ask around and say, what should I see this yeah. time? But I really enjoy that. I like a lot of variety in food choices. So while I really enjoyed visiting Italy, I didn't enjoy the food in Italy as much as I enjoyed the food in London. Now, this might be unfair because I'm sure there are lots of varieties mm -hmm. in the right places in Italy. But in Rome, everywhere we went, you know, it was good Italian food. Yeah. And finding something that was good and not Italian food was harder in Rome. <laughs> and I mean, the Italian yeah. food was amazing, but I get tired of it real fast. Mm -hmm. I want to go to Ethiopian food one night. I want to go get Xiaolongbao the next night. I want to go get Greek food the next night. And London and New York are the two best cities for doing that that I've visited. Yeah. I know there's several in Canada that are as good. Well, but... and, and that's something that if people who haven't been to London and just uh -huh. assume that it is British, London is one of the most multicultural cities yeah. I've ever been to. Mm -hmm. Maybe the most multicultural. Yep. Uh, it, honestly, for me, it blew Manhattan away in terms of just sheer quantity percentage of different people. You can walk around London. I was there for like 
two days before I started hearing British accents because most of the people you just pass on the street are not speaking English at all. Yeah. There are huge Indian population, massive influx of Eastern European and Mediterranean. There's just so many different people. And so it's a lot more diverse and interesting than you might think if you're just thinking of it as the bastion of Britishness, which it is not. But I will say that I love seeing the ocean. Mm -hmm. I just really love sitting in a lounge chair with a laptop <laughs> and spending all day writing to the sounds of the waves and looking across. And if I can see like surfers, that's even better. Like, you know, people moving, motion, waves, these things. I just, I really like that. Ships going in and out, I've really enjoyed. I had a, a room in Perth, actually, in a hotel room that was just a nice room with a large picture window or mm -hmm. big window. Yeah. Large, big window. Large, right. big window. Of the bay. And I was up a number of stories and just at night watching the boats come in and out was really cool to me. Mm -hmm. And I could get that, you know, with the river in London, maybe. But I mean, it's the Thames. And uh, I mean, <laughs> it's it's not the most compelling body of water. Yes. I was going to say my favorite place I've visited, mm -hmm. favorite experience I've had in England was actually in Brighton, Okay, uh, yeah. which is a few hours south of London on the channel. Mm -hmm. And I was there for a book tour that coincided with the World Horror Association, the, mm -hmm. that convention. And so I went there, and it was great. Brighton is a resort town mm -hmm. with a pebble beach on this, you know, super foggy English channel. And so you have the Britishness. It's not as multicultural, but you do have the ocean. But you also have the kind of faded glamour, like, of a coastal British resort town, where you know that 90% of the buildings are haunted, and it just has this very different feel to it. There was, you know, one of those big boardwalks with the dinky little carnival rides and stuff. And, and we kind of went on some of those at night in the fog on the channel. I mean, the fact that it was the World Horror Convention, I'm sure played into this. But it was a very different feel of this kind of quiet, dark, right on the cusp of being supernatural. Absolutely loved it. Okay, so now... You talk about, you know, being on the beach. What is your favorite, like, tropical or beachy destination then? Because neither of us are really adventurous physical people. Yes. But both of us are, I love to sit and watch water. So I haven't found the perfect one yet. Okay. I'm still searching. I have some pretty stringent requirements for what the perfect one would be, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Costa Rica was awesome. But getting to the place I went was not awesome, right? <laughs> Involved a four-hour drive on dirt roads mm -hmm. after a fairly arduous flight hour-wise for me, time-wise, you know. And so I, while I really liked the beach when I got there, I don't think I would go back. Mm -hmm. I l have really enjoyed Hawaii. You know, the best place once I'm there has been Castaway Island on in Fiji. I'm not sure what it's actually called. It's one of the places they filmed Castaway. I... But getting to Fiji is two flights, one of them 14 or 15 hours or something like that, followed by a boat ride out to one of the outer islands to the resort. It was wonderful. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. But it is too much for me to do regularly. Yeah. So I'm looking for, you know, like the, the right place in Hawaii or in Mexico that I can just go do writing retreats. Well, I'm going to recommend 
mm-hmm. Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. Okay. And it doesn't have the solitude that you'd get in like mm-hmm. a Fiji resort. But I took my son down there. We found this just ridiculous deal for like 70 bucks a night for a hotel right on the beach, mm. but also right in the city. And so we had the water. We had this incredible view. We had this great beach to go out to. But we were also a block away from 17 different stellar taco places and all this other stuff. That sounds really good. And, you know, I used to live in Mexico, so Mm -hmm. I love it. I speak the language. I love the culture and and everything there. So I'm going to default to Mexico anyway. But give Puerto Vallarta a try because it's great. 